Good to see you all. Welcome back to our, our fourth now and final chapter uh, that we're jumping into on the book of Ruth. And um, we've been walking through this book now all of January. And this morning we now come to the last scene. And I have to say, as I was driving between sites, uh, I'm kind of sad about that. Like, I love this story. I, I don't know if you've ever heard this story preached on before, but, but I wish we could have even slowed it down even more. You know, what, what I love most about this book is that it causes us to ask questions about our faith that we typically wouldn't ask. You know, we've been uh, conditioned, right? We've adopted this mentality, I think, as God's people to, uh, to just fake it until we make it when it comes to our faith journey. We, we have these questions about who God is or, or why life is the way that it is and, and, and how those two connect. But unless you're like a 10-year-old, we typically don't ask those questions out loud, right? We've learned over the years to play pretend. And I think what's unique about this story is that the book of Ruth is so real. It, it is so raw that, that it forces us to ask the tough questions again. You know, questions like this. Maybe you've experienced these even the last year. You, you say God is good, but my world just fell apart. How do I trust in that? Or you say the Lord is with me, right? And you say that he's for me, but I don't feel it lately. I feel spiritually parched and dry. How do I know that he's still here? Why, why does he feel so far away? And the overarching theme then that we've prodded over and over again throughout this book and this series is, where is God when you can't see him? I guess what I love about this story is that it's, it's God's desire for us, right? For you and for me to truly understand the height and depth and breadth of his love for us, right? And yet I think so often by our own doing, we've isolated ourselves from experiencing that kind of presence in our lives. So this book of Ruth, as we found is in many ways, that story, it's our story. If you're here with us for the first time, here's my 60 second recap. From the opening line of this book, life is not well. Right? A famine has struck the land, and so this father and mother and their two sons, they go on the run, and they're looking for food. That's how the story starts. They've left the land of God's promise for this land of, of worship of false idols and false gods. And just as they arrive, life falls apart. First the father dies. Soon after, both sons marry, but then they both die. And now we're painted this picture a few weeks ago of these three widows just holding each other and sobbing. There's literally nothing left. The mother-in-law tells these two daughters, I'm going back home. And as we learned, one decides to let her go. She stays behind, but the other says, I'm going with you. And her name was what? Ruth. By the time that Ruth and Naomi get back to their homeland, Naomi's so burned out. She tells her friend, she says, I'm making a name change. You can call me bitter. And who can blame her, right? As we've been walking through this series, I feel like every Sunday that I come back to this, this story, my, my sympathy for Naomi increases. You can't help but feel for her, right? She's lost perspective. Anybody read about all the screaming moms in Boston this week? Anybody read about that? I read the story last week of a group of about 40 or 50 women that every so often, about once a month since the pandemic had begun, they gather up on the 50-yard line of this football stadium for the sole purpose of a rage party. They call it scream therapy. And I read that article, and I kid you not, I thought to myself, that is the most terrifying thing I have ever heard. <laughs> Remember that moment like when you knew you had set off the button with your mom and she looked at you? She was like, stop it now. Can you imagine that multiplied times 50 in a football field? Man, I tell you what. But that's the picture we have of Naomi, right? 
She says to her friends, call me bitter. The Lord has dealt me blow after blow in my life. You can call me helpless. And it causes us to wonder, what is God doing here? And just as the storm clouds seem to be socked in, right, we then find God start to move. Ruth goes into these local fields. She's looking for grain. And by God's providence, she meets this man named Boaz. As we read on, we, we learn this was really quite providential because Boaz isn't just family, right? We, we read that he's the kinsman redeemer. And remember, a redeemer was someone who was designated as the family member to put all the pieces back together. A redeemer was, was the one who could restore all the mess that this family had now walked through. And that means if Boaz marries Ruth, he could by law buy back the land that they had lost. He could bring back the lineage of the family and restore that. And then he could ensure that these two women would have security the rest of their lives. But last week, just as we heard the wedding bells off in the distance, we began to see God's hand restoring this family. We're thrown another twist. And that is that Boaz tells this woman, I'm not sure I'm your man. Because there's another kinsman redeemer in the family that is ahead of me. We got to go and check in with him. And so that's where we left last week, right? With this, this cliffhanger, wondering what could God do with this? Where is God when you can't see him? When you don't know what he's going to do next? This morning, we're going to find, find out. Um, and it's quite the powerful conclusion, I think, to the book. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 4 of the book of Ruth. If not, we'll have it up on the screens. And let's see how this, this story concludes. Hear now God's word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 of the men of the elders of the city and he said to them, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. But if you will redeem it, redeem it. If you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. He said, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. To con I'm sorry, to confirm the transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and that belonged to Kilion and Mahlon. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Mahlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah 
because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. And he went to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed. Obed Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. So last week I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I, uh, I literally had lost my pillow between uh, my, my bed and the wall in the middle of the night. And I woke up with this crick in my neck and I couldn't hardly move. You ever been there? Ever had one of those? I wound up at the uh, chiropractor and he snapped everything back into place. But as we were wrapping up our time, I asked him, I said, how long have you been practicing in Bozeman? I think he said he'd been here 28 years. I was like, 28 years, those are, that's a tenure that's hard to come by in this town. I said, what's your take on all these changes? And he said this, he said, you know, a lot of people move here and their only context was a summer family trip to one of the parks. He said, you know, they, they experience winter for the first time and winters can be brutal. This one's been fairly tame comparatively. He said, here's my take. He said, wherever you're from, life in Montana is just learning to make it to the next summer again. As I drove back home, I, I thought, man, that's the story of Ruth, isn't it? How do you get through a season where everything that you have had was taken from you? You know, we might not relate to that kind of tragedy, but we've all gone through winters of faith. Life is hills and valleys. And when the valley comes and God feels distant, right? How do we get through the motions to the other side again? I think the unspoken reality in this story is Naomi's been in that place the entire book, right? First famine, then death, then more death. And for Naomi, it's, it's almost impossible now for her to see God's goodness in her life. And the question then that, that comes to mind for us is, how do you keep going when you can't see God? This morning, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna talk about three ways that we might realign our faith when we find ourselves in seasons of winter. Next time you find yourself in a desert or a, a dark place or a cold snap in your life, here's three things I want us to think about. The first is this. What would it look like to realign our priorities? What would it look like to realign our priorities? A second one is this. What, what, what does it look like to reevaluate and realign our actions? I think we have those up on the screens maybe. Realign our priorities. Second is realign our actions. The third is we need a realignment of our place and community. I'll say them again, realign our priorities, realign our actions and realign our place and community. So let's look at this first one. What does it look like to realign our priorities? Let's just focus on this for a minute. What is truly important to you? What is truly important to you and why? Like if someone were to ask you like to give your top five priorities on your calendar this week, what were they? 
I feel like uh, throughout this story, there's this misalignment of what's important in life, right? And, and with this misalignment, there comes this deterioration for Naomi in understanding who God is. In the very first chapter, there's this Israelite family and they've left home. We know that. They left behind friends in their faith community and they're on the hunt for something tangible, right? They're hungry. And at first glance, we read that and we think, well, who can blame them? You know, food is up there on the priority list, right? You got to eat. But as the story goes along, you, you begin to realize Naomi and Elimelech didn't just leave home. They left the place of God's promise. They were in Bethlehem, right? That was quite literally the promised land. It was the place where God's faithfulness had come to fruition, where his promises were felt and known to be true, which makes you wonder, why didn't they stay? Why not stay in the promised land? You know, as you read this story, you find not everyone ran away from that famine. In fact, apparently many stayed put and they survived. We're told by the end of that first chapter, Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited his people in the land. And it seems to me that with this departure from God's promised land, they had also left several other priorities behind in life. They left behind their faith community. They left the synagogue, right? They left their friends. They left their fields. They left their family. And now isolation and all its ramifications begin to settle in. Life hits the pavement. Naomi has no one there to remind her of God's faithfulness and his mercy and love in her life. And by the end of this disaster, we find a bitter, harsh woman who is convinced the Lord only deals bitterly with me. You know, both in my own life and in the life of this church, I, I feel like the first step in our drifting happens when we're isolated. You know, if the enemy can separate you from the flock, boom, that's now a really easy sheep to kill, right? And we're so blessed to live in this place of abundance. It seems to me that with abundance, with, 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 with affluence, we are privileged with choice. In America, we, we have all kinds of choices. We can choose when we want to eat, what we want to eat. We can choose where we want to focus our time. We, we can choose what hobbies we want to keep, what relationships we want to foster, with what activities we want to pursue. The, the opportunities are endless. Just think about Bozeman for a minute. How do you make it to another summer again? You go play, right? Consider this with me. You can ski, you can snowboard, you can cross country ski, you can skate ski, you can ice skate, you can snowmobile, you can snowshoe, you can ice fish. The list goes on and on and on, right? But the challenge for us in a land of choices is not how many we have or don't have in any given minute. It's what choice will you make as your first choice? In a world of abundant selections, what is our priority? If you walk into an ice cream shop and your only choices are vanilla or chocolate, choice is easy, right? It's chocolate every time. But if you walk into an ice cream shop and there's 25 flavors in front of you, well, now we're going to need to sample a few. See, from the beginning of the story to this end, there's this unmistakable misalignment of priorities at play. Just think about our lesson again this morning. Boaz comes to this other redeemer, right? Who's first in line. And he says to this guy, man, have I got a deal for you? Dude, you just won the lottery, right? The family land is yours. You are first in line. Elimelech died. His two sons are passed away. And Naomi's selling the family property. All you have to do is say yes. Unnamed redeemer says, boom, I'm in. I'm in, all in. This land is mine. This is awesome. But Boaz was apparently quite shrewd, right? He said, wait, time out. There's more to this offer. You haven't heard the rest. 
if you take the land, you have to take the family. And if you take Naomi, you got to take Ruth. And inevitably, Ruth's going to have a son. And if she has a son, that son's going to take the inheritance back away from you. You might pour all your money into this and get nothing out of it. And suddenly, all the winds shift. He does this about face. And he says, I'm out. This unnamed redeemer, he gives his sandal, takes it off, gives to Boaz. And let me just translate that moment, right? That's cultural speak for here. You can walk on my land. Why the sudden change of heart? See, the, the change of heart came because this man's priorities were completely misaligned. Instead of jumping into his role as a kinsman redeemer and helping the family, he was in it for himself, right? This is a matter of namesake, of, of preservation. I got to keep my own. I got to build my own empire. I got to make a name for me. I find it interesting, and you can go back and look at this this afternoon. God's word goes to lengths to make sure you don't know this man's name. He will never be known in history. He was the kinsman redeemer, nameless. The elders later tell Boaz, they say, no, your name is renowned though. Your name will be made famous. You have one man who wanted to preserve his own name, his own empire, and he loses it. Reminds me of the, the words of Christ in Luke 17, right? What happens to the other one? He loses his life and he keeps it. I think if we struggle to see God, right? In, in those moments where we find ourselves wrestling with that, that long winter, it might be that we need to realign our priorities again. You know, it's hard to see God at work with the Bible closed. It's nearly impossible to see God at work when you're separated from Christian community. It's, it's hard to see what God is doing when we don't stop to worship and to listen to him in prayer. And the bottom line is this, if we fail to make the worship of the Lord in our lives a priority, we will inevitably worship something or someone else because we were designed and created to worship. And really that leads me to my next point. That is that it can't just be what we believe, it has to be how we live. We need to realign our actions. I read a story not that long ago of a, a police officer who pulled a driver over acting erratically on the road. And as the driver rolled his window down, he was quite miffed. He said, what gives officer? He said, I wasn't speeding. I didn't run any stoplights. Why'd you pull me over? The officer said, no, no, you're right. That all checks out. He said, can I get your license and registration? The man went digging. He, he said, well, then why are we here? What, what is this all about? The officer said, well, let me tell you what I saw. He said, first, I saw you shaking your fist and you swerved around that old lady in the left lane back there. And then I saw you screaming at that kid in front of you and you were just laying on the horn at him. And well, then you threw the gesture out the window as if to tell him and everybody around you how you felt about him. The driver cut him off. He said, wait, time out. But that's a crime. Have I done anything wrong? The officer said, no, no, no. He said, but then I saw your Jesus loves you bumper sticker on the back of your car. He said, I, I figured it might be stolen. <laughs> it's, it's one thing to name our priorities, right? It's another to live them. Our actions or our inactions carry consequences. Again, just think about this story with me, right? Ruth didn't just promise Naomi that she'd be by her side, that she would die with her. She lived it. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And we see from the beginning of that promise to the end, Ruth keeps her word. And notice this too. Boaz, he was a man of his word. He, he promised Ruth redemption. He didn't just say the words, he went about it. He followed through. So he goes by the gate of the city where, where all these legal matters would have been settled. That's where it took place at the, the gates of the city. And he waited for the family redeemer to come by. 
See, eventually our actions prove our priorities. And so at first, this unnamed kinsman redeemer, he was all in, right? But it's not long before his action and then his inaction prove his heart. You can have the farm. I don't want the reliability. So Boaz asked the 10 elders to witness this legal transaction, the sandals transfer, and look at their response in verse 11. Look what they find to be important from this point forward. They said, we are your witnesses. That's a done deal. But your actions matter. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, Boaz. The book of James tells us, faith without what is dead works. You know, it's real faith when it leads you to a, a clear change of priorities in your life, right? And, and that change of priorities should then guide us to look and act and talk differently than the world around us. But when we blend in, when our schedules follow the same patterns, and when our priorities look no different to those who know us, all of our habits fall into the same treasure of this life, you can guarantee a crick in the neck. Which really brings me to the last point, and that is if you're experiencing winter, if you're experiencing a hardship in your walk with God, it might be that you need a realignment of Christian relationships again. We need to realign ourselves back in community with him. Um, Naomi, right, she was so disconnected from her roots. She tells the women of Bethlehem when she gets back, don't call me my birth name ever again. We've talked about this multiple times. She said, I've changed my name. See, but what we might not realize is, biblically speaking, this is a significant moment. Name means identity. When you change your name, you change your identity. After God made his promise to Abram, he changed his name to Abraham. You will be the father of many nations. After Jacob wrestled with the Lord, his name was changed to Israel, the one who struggles. So Naomi comes back. All of her life seems gone. She's lost the women or the men in her life. And she comes to these women that she knew from before. She said, I'm not the same woman you knew. Call me bitter. But I want you to see what happens. Look at how the community comes around her and restores her back with the Lord again. Look at this. Look at this in verse 14. Look at this prayer. Boaz comes to Ruth. They marry. Ruth has her child. And this is the prayer that these women pray now over the family. Then the woman said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord. Do you realize he has not left you this day without a redeemer? And may he be named renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a, a restorer, this child, a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth. Where is God when you can't see him? How is Naomi's winter of faith and her, her depression, her darkness lifted? It's in community. It's in community as these women point her back to the blessings and goodness of God. Tell this bitter woman, right? Tell this bitter woman, you need to hear our words. This child will be a restorer of life to you again. Think about that. All that was wrong in Naomi's life to this point now starts to find new life. And we're told this child, right, as, as we look at this picture of Naomi with this baby in her lap, and the book closes, we're told this child, he will be the one not only to restore Naomi and Ruth, but he will be the one to restore the lineage of King David. And not only King David, he will ultimately point to the restoration of Jesus Christ. So no, this story doesn't answer the question of why do bad things happen to good people. We'll save that sermon for another time. 
And it doesn't solve the issue of Naomi's broken heart, right? She's still lost these three men in her life. But what this story does is it reminds us that no matter what you go through, we serve this God whose love and compassion knows no end. Just as Naomi is given a son by a daughter who is better than seven sons, so we've been given a child by a father whose glory is beyond any father, anything you could ever conceive or imagine. And it's by our faith now in that child that we too find our lives restored again. So here's my thought. If you've been feeling like you can't see God lately, you've been feeling distant from him, walking in your own winter, here's three questions to ask this week. Do my priorities still align with my faith? Do my actions actually prove what it is that I believe? Am I, am I going through the motions or am I truly walking in faith? And do we as a community hold one another accountable to live that life together? Let me ask God to bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. God, would you just seal this book? Lord, it's such an incredible book. God, just to think through how all the story, we, we're wondering what's to come, what's, what's, how's this gonna play out? And not only do we see this, this woman and her daughter-in-law restored, God, but we see that all the while this was redemptive history at play, that you were maintaining in your providence the line all the way to Jesus Christ. God, and just as Naomi held that child and realized her own restoration, God, we, we pray that you would keep our eyes on Jesus. Lord, that even when we go through hardships, even when we walk through the valley of, even if it's the shadow of death, Lord, that we would fear no evil, that we would know that you are with us, that you have saved us, claimed us, redeemed us. So God, we pray as we, as we wrap up worship this morning and we, we leave this place that you would keep us mindful no matter what comes our way of you. In Jesus' name, all God's people say, amen.